Italy relies enormously from its economic cooperation with the European partners and dividing its uh, fundamental policies from those uh, of the main partners, France, Germany and the others, wouldn't be a reasonable uh, political line. Hello and welcome back to the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs, the entirely student-run podcast at Johns Hopkins University. I'm your host, Julia Ahn. After days of political turmoil, Mario Draghi resigned from his post as Italy's Prime Minister on July 21st, 2022, and as a result, a new election is set to take place in September. In today's podcast, we'll discuss Italy's policies and development under Draghi, as well as just how and why the current government coalition imploded. We will then examine the possible motivations behind President Mattarella's decision to hold elections in just two months and what Italy's economy and foreign policy could look like under a potential center-left or right-wing government. Joining me on the podcast is Mr. Carlo Bastasin. Mr. Bastasin is a non-resident senior fellow in the foreign policy program at Brookings. He also is professor of European political economy at Luis University in Rome and has authored the book Saving Europe, Anatomy of a Dream. We hope you enjoy today's episode of the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. Mr. Bastasin, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So to start us off, could you give us an overview of what Italy's current political system is like, including what the current government is and maybe which parties make up the current government? Well, as a general framework, you should consider that Italy has an attitude for changing rapidly its governments. So while we are speaking, probably something is changing under our eyes. But uh, for what for what the current government is concerned, it's a government uh, uh, formed uh, under the spirit of national unity. It happens often. It has happened often in. Italy's recent history, that under the pressure of uh, emergencies, Italy's parties join forces and uh, contribute to form a cross-party government, not a left-wing or a right-wing, but a party that collects the support of uh, different movements, different formations. And this was the case when... uh, this government started in February 21, Mario Draghi, the prime minister who received the mandate from the president of the republic, uh, intended to form a super partes, a cross party, an over the parties, as we say, uh, government, not influenced by ideological bias of anybody, but intended to be able to respond to the emergencies of the times. And the emergencies were very, very demanding. And so how do these specific parties that make up the current national unity government, um, what were their key commitments and priorities? Well, essentially, uh, Draghi's mandate uh, regarded uh, uh, the health crisis that had hit Italy uh, particularly strongly. And uh, uh, so the campaign of vaccination uh, needed to function as efficiently as possible. The second uh, was uh, uh, 
responding to the economic emergencies that followed the health crisis of COVID. And uh, it was particularly uh, appropriate that Mario Draghi, who formerly had high responsibility in the European institutions, uh, uh, could take over at the time because uh, uh, Italy was uh, a recipient of substantial financial supports by the European Union. That support, those resources, 200 billion in the whole uh, between uh, 2020 and 2026, uh, equivalent to 11% of Italy's GDP, were conditional to an intense program of reforms. So Italy was receiving financial support from the European partners, but that support needed to be accompanied by an intense program of uh, political and economic reforms of the country. In order to preside over this complex process of changing the countries and give guarantees that the money received from the partners was put at good use, Mario Draghi was probably the uh, most reputed candidate to to ensure that this was the case, that the money was put at good use. And I think that was a good segue to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is um, I know that the current president now, Sergio Mattarella, um, was actually elected as president, I believe, over Draghi. So how, how did this happen if um, Draghi seemed like he was such a good candidate? <laughs> You're right. Draghi was a good candidate. But <clears throat> in a way, uh, the very fact that he was so authoritative uh, and uh, was putting the political parties uh, in, a, in a kind of embarrassment. I mean, uh, uh, Draghi came across to the public opinion as a more competent uh, leader than uh, most others. Uh, I, I could say uh, that the entirety of the political leaders, of Italy's political leaders. And this was reducing the room of maneuver of political parties, obviously. And uh, since we were approaching the end of the legislature, uh, well, political parties had double, double thoughts about handing to Draghi uh, the role of president of the republic uh, that in Italy has a longer duration than single legislatures. Uh, a president of the republic lasts seven years in power. Uh, and probably political parties, uh, political party leaders uh, were not happy to, uh, before the perspective of having Draghi in control of their activity for uh, seven more years. Um, So the support that Draghi found in the public opinion, in a way, became wobblier in the political system. Months after months, the closer you got to the end of the legislature, which was actually expected to happen next year, not this year, 
the uh, the closer you got there, uh, the weaker was uh, the support of the party system uh, for uh, for Draghi. Mattarella, who is highly esteemed and highly reputed as well, uh, was in a way a safe pair of, ha- pair of hands. And it's pro- it's probably been a good choice, if I may add a personal consideration. And before we get into what happened in the last couple of weeks, I did want to ask you a little bit more, and you mentioned this a bit, his previous experience and how that um, set him up for the job. And so, as many people might know, he was president of the European Central Bank. And I wanted you to talk a little bit more about um, just how exactly was that experience beneficial to um, the role he's played so far as prime minister? And why exactly did he decide to pivot to um, this political career? Well, in the uh, the first question is uh, uh, easy to answer. Uh, essentially, uh, three elements. Uh, uh, one was uh, that he in his stint as president of the ECB, he got acquainted and gained the tr- gained the trust of all the European heads of government. So most of them, Macron, Merkel, and the others, were good friends of uh, Mario Draghi. And uh, so uh, when he became a colleague of them, he hit the ground and running with... Uh, with the others, it could be immediately operative in the European councils and so on. The second reason is that he was obviously very competent in uh, uh, economic issues and Europe is uh, a critical uh, factor in the economic management of national governments in Europe. So it's not simply... Uh, something that lies beside the national economy. No, it's p- constitutive part of economic policies for uh, national member states. So knowing exactly how that work uh, was uh, um, to be done uh, was uh, meant that Draghi was immediately capable of uh, finding the buttons and pushing the right ones when he entered uh, the government. And the third uh, reasons, uh, reason is that uh, when you are at the helm of the ECB, you have to decide in minutes. You don't have months to ponder or weeks to negotiate. Sometimes you have to take the right resolution in a matter of a few minutes. This is what happened, for instance, exactly 10 years ago when uh, on July 26, 2012, Draghi pronounced that famous uh, sentence, which has, uh, I may say, emphatically entered history books when he said that the ECB was ready to save the euro whatever it takes and that changed the history of the euro crisis for good well this is a kind of uh, strong of, of capacity of decision making that is uh, uh, extremely useful to practice even in uh, uh, day-to-day national politics 
And you had a second uh, question, uh, which was why he decided to move from the ECB to... Well, he his uh, uh, stint as ECB president uh, uh, had already finished. And uh, knowing him a bit, I think he was not really pondering to uh, take a job so soon and particularly not to meddle with the complexity and the intricacies of Italian politics. He probably wanted to take a period, maybe uh, visit the globe, uh, spend a period in Washington, D.C. that he loves uh, and uh, many other things. Um, But uh, simply the country needed him. And when the President of the Republic calls him to task, well, you expected to say yes. And that's what happened to him. And you mentioned earlier how after he was appointed last year, I think, um, he had, there were quite a few issues that to deal with, first and foremost, COVID-19, and then the economic issues that came with that. And then now this year with um, the invasion of Ukraine, how exactly did his government specifically handle these issues? Well, the COVID-19 crisis uh, required swift management uh, of the vaccination campaign. And that was the first thing that Draghi enacted. He nominated a technical, actually a general of the army, and a technical uh, responsible for the vaccination campaign and uh, the result was that Italians uh, actually massively adhered to the campaign and had a higher percentage than the average European, much higher than in uh, Germany or France or similar countries. Uh, so that was uh, rather successful if you consider that Italy was hit very harshly in February 2020 by the contagion uh, coming from East Asia. And, uh, well, uh, it might have uh, uh, been uh, mishandled because uh, the public administration in Italy is not surely the strong point of the uh, state functionality. Uh, Draghi took up the challenge and uh, decided to nominate the right person and things worked pretty well. Again, on the economic side, uh, he enjoys a really a stellar reputation around the globe about among the economists and uh, economic responsible in uh, other national governments. So it was easy for him to establish a uh, trust relation, a confidence uh, with the others. Uh, And that was obviously very helpful uh, when uh, the European Union offered, as I may have mentioned before, to help Italy and the Italian economy. And with his different set of skills and experiences, was his government a lot different from previous governments before his? Well, that's an interesting question because, in fact, uh, Draghi, as a competent technocrat, as uh, we say, was only the last of a long string of uh, technical personalities that have substantially kept uh, 
the country afloat along its political ups and downs. Um, Draghi is particularly indebted, for instance, to Carlo Azeglio Ciampi, who was his putative uh, tutor in uh, his youth. Uh, Draghi has a personal uh, dramatic experience in his youth. He lost father and mother when he was 16, and uh, uh, people around him uh, helped uh, uh, him uh, orientating in the world. One of these persons that he met later in his life was uh, Carlo Zeglio Ciampi, who was a former prime minister in Italy in the 90s and then president of the Republic. Ciampi was also governor of the Bank of Italy, and Draghi followed his footsteps and became also governor of the Bank of Italy before becoming president of the ECB. But the fact is that in Italy's uh, history, these technical figures are pretty frequent, unusually frequent if uh, considered uh, relative to other uh, European countries. I'm preparing a book on uh, Italy, and uh, well, we actually ended uh, with the co-author Gianni Toniolo, and uh, we discovered that actually since Italy's unification, when it was the Kingdom of Italy, 1861, Italy had the recurrent uh, um, use of technical figures in its government. It's part of something which goes deep in the foundation of the country, which was not politically unified when it was unified, but it was economically unified. And so economic technical figures have always been strong and important. And Draghi was, in a way, the last of those figures. Another one was Mario Monti, for instance, a recent uh, prime minister between 2011, November 2011, and 2013. And going towards more recent events, um, PM Prime Minister Draghi tendered his first resignation, which was rejected by the president um, about two weeks ago now. What were the events that led up to this first resignation? Why did he resign? Well, the story, the story, um, you need to consider the fact that uh, Italy's political volatility is uh, very strong. Italy had uh, 67 governments in the last 76 years, just to say. And uh, what happens is that uh, Political parties are used to maneuver uh, swiftly and uh, recklessly. And uh, since the beginning of the 90s, no ruling coalition, no parties belonging to the ruling coalition have won the elections that followed their government. Uh, for some reasons, Italians were not satisfied with what the governments were delivering, and so any time they changed the majority. So what the, the consistently parties try to uh, try to uh, enter the electoral campaign, they rather take part in the electoral campaign from the opposition bench than 
from the government side because they know that the electorate is prone to sanction governing parties. So the legislature, the current legislature, was uh, close to its end, March 23, and possibly earlier, and uh, parties, even parties taking part in the government, were running for the door. And the first to do that were the Five Star Movements, a rather recent political formation which is connotated by uh, strong anti-political, anti-establishment feelings. And uh, in mid-July, its leaders, Giuseppe Conte, pre-announced that he would leave, uh, he would reduce its support for Draghi and possibly leave the majority. When the center-right parties saw the Five Star Movement belonging to the center-left camp, departing its way from the other center-left parties, I'm sorry, it may sound complicated, but if you can figure the political parties as divided in right and left, it's easier. So when the center-right parties saw that the center-left parties were divided, one was leaving the government, the Five Star Movement was leaving the government, and the other larger uh, center-left party, the Partito Democratico, was staying in the government. Well, at that very moment, the center-right parties thought they they would have done a, a, a good thing for themselves to uh, leave the government as well form a united coalition on the center-right and ask for new elections to be called. And that's exactly what they did. For political personal advantage and uh, political partisan strategists, they left uh, Draghi with no other option than uh, hand its resignation at the hand of uh, the President of the Republic. And that's what happened. But with the elections, as you said, I think the term expires only in a couple months in spring 23. Why, why leave the government now and trigger an election when there's going to be an election in a couple of months anyway? <laughs> well, uh, the term of the legislature would have been in March 23. So it's been anticipated. The fact that it comes in only two months was unexpected. It was a shrewd decision by the President of the Republic, Sergio Mattarella, who wrong-footed the political parties, calling for such an election at at the shortest notice. The result is that the two camps, the center-right coalition and the center-left coalition, are struggling to stitch up the intestine infightings and uh, uh, the continuous bickering among themselves. And they need to do that to present uh, the list of candidates before August 21st, the last uh, deadline for presenting the candidates uh, one month before the election takes place. Uh, The result is that all parties are now really 
struggling to uh, come to terms with the with an unexpected situation that may prevent either the center right or the center left to take advantage of the new election. A possible result of this uh, strange situation is that Italy's parliament will uh, will emerge after September 25 at least as fragmented as the current ones. And if there is no clear majority among one of the two uh, coalitions or among the 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 parties, then again the president of the republic may go searching for another technocrat, super parties, cross party personalities with global reputation, and why not? Maybe even asking Draghi himself to take the helm of the government again. I doubt that Draghi will accept. In that case, it's a remote eventuality. But just to give you the sense of uncertainty surrounding in this moment the political system and the political perspective. So from how I understand, Draghi seems quite popular with the Italian people. So I wonder... Could he have decided not to resign and stayed a couple of more months? Um, or was there a reason why he decided or had to resign now? Well, uh, the legislature was expected to come to an end in March 2023. But as I was telling you, uh, what happens uh, often in Italian politics that the political parties are aware that uh, they should rather take part in an electoral uh, round uh, from sitting on in the opposition bench rather than taking part of the government because the Italian electorate in during the last uh, 30 years uh, has regularly sanctioned all the parties that were governing in the former legislature. Uh, this pattern was followed once more in the last months uh, when even uh, governing parties ran for the door before the legislature was coming to expire. Um, the first to leave uh, and to pre-announce uh, uh, reduced support for Draghi and even uh, the eventuality of leaving Draghi's government was the Five Star Movement. Uh, which is a rather recent uh, political formation which has attracted an enormous amount uh, of votes in the 2018 elections that we have uh, nicknamed the populist legislature. And uh, uh, Five Star Movements, uh, led by Giuseppe Conte, is a left-leaning, rather extreme party that... uh, uh, announced uh, in mid-July that they would leave uh, Draghi's government. That was a signal for the center-right parties. The center-right parties uh, uh, could observe the division in their opposite camp, 
with the Five Star Movement uh, parting ways from the other larger center-left party, the Partito Democratico. Looking how divided the center-left coalition was, the center-right parties, both those taking part in the government and the one in the opposition, the Brothers of Italy, led by Giorgia Meloni, decided that that was a moment to, um, to draw away their support to Draghi, in the case of the two governing parties, Forza Italia and the Lega, and induce Draghi to resign and hand his resignation in the hands of the President of the Republic. And that was what uh, happened in July 20th. At that point, what either the centre-right uh, parties and the centre-left parties did not expect was the reaction by the President of the Republic that rather than engaging in uh, a complex and absorbing negotiation to save the legislature and bringing the legislature to a term in March 2023, called for new elections at shortest notice, in the shortest possible uh, date, which was uh, September 25. If you hold elections uh, on September 25, you need to present the list of candidates by August 21st. And this leaves only one month to the political parties to converge in two coalitions, decide which list of candidates they present together, those of the right and those of the left, and put aside the lacerating uh, uh, bickering and infighting that connotated these two coalitions. What Mattarella seemed to do was exposing the bad habits and the weaknesses of the political parties in Italy, forcing them to come together in two defined uh, camps and uh, present the positions to the electorate in a rational way. And apparently this will be a tall Uh, a tall demand for uh, those parties. Uh, The consequence, the unexpected consequence, might be that nobody, neither the centre-right nor the centre-left, managed to conduct such an efficient electoral campaign the next uh, two months as to win an absolute majority of the parliament. And in that case, with uh, another fragmented parliament, uh, the President of the Republic will be probably in the position to look for another technical super partes uh, uh, personality with a high reputation globally, internally and externally, the country, and why not? Maybe even asking Draghi to come back and take the helm of the government. This is probably... Uh, an extreme eventuality, and I'm not sure that how much probability I can attach to this scenario. But this is a situation, a very complex situation, 
sophisticated as political game for a political analysis is extremely fascinating what is going on. And I wouldn't be surprised that one more technical solution will be found uh, showing how uh, ineffective uh, it Italy's political parties can be in conducting their uh, political campaigns. And with the current still high energy costs, and I, I know inflation facing Italy today, what, what has been the reaction from ordinary Italians to all that has happened and unfolded in the recent weeks? Uh, well, that's a very good question. Uh, first of all, there was a sense of bewilderment and probably of indignation in public opinion. Italy's public opinion has grown very skeptical of uh, the political system in the last 30 years. At the beginning of the 90s, there was a traumatic discovery uh, of uh, inefficiency and, and corruption uh, in the political system. And ever since, Italians are extremely wary to assign uh, their trust to the political representatives they even become uh, sometimes extremely allergic to and extremely uh, uh, unwilling to give their trust to their political representatives. That may be really an extreme situation. It's very interesting if you uh, confront the indication of uh, uh, perceived corruption in Italy and actual corruption. The second is the response of citizens to the question, have you really experienced a case of corruption in the last 12 months? In the first case, Italians say of themselves all the worst and say, ah, no, we are the most corrupt country of the world, I'm sure. But the second question asking, but have you really seen corruption in your personal experience? Their answer is perfectly aligned with, uh, with the answers of the other European countries. So this allergy of, Italian, of the Italian public opinion has uh, different ways of expressing itself. In 2018, it was a revolt which favored uh, the populist parties, for instance. In other cases, it's... It, takes different uh, clauses, like uh, demand for secession, uh, the division of the north from the south or the opposite, and several other forms. We don't know exactly in two months these sentiments, how will express themselves uh, in the ballots. It's possible that the high reputation that Mario Draghi enjoyed will bring people to in a way, uh, uh, request that he comes back or that competent figures are privileged when the decision comes to choose the right person to lead the government. And frankly, this wouldn't be so bad. And with the current front runners for the election appearing to be, as you talked about, this more center-left Democratic Party um, and then also the right-wing Brothers of Italy party, because 
Draghi played such an important role in rallying support for Ukraine and Italy, but also the wider Europe, um, especially with his background. What would the election of either party mean, if anything, for Italy's economy and policy on Ukraine going forward? Well, in case of victory of the Partito Democratico, the center-left party, or of the new center coalition, which is uh, emerging in the last days, nothing would change. Uh, They even mention sometimes uh, we will go to the ballots uh, and we will conduct the electoral campaign uh, favoring what they call the Draghi agenda. So they say they want to replicate exactly what Draghi did. In the other case, if Brothers of Italy uh, wins, uh, um, well, much uh, may change. Uh, it's a completely uh, bre- it, it it would be like breaking a taboo. Uh, Brothers of Italy is a normally connotated as a post-fascist party or extreme right. Apparently, what wouldn't change would be the stance toward Russia. Uh, Brothers of Italy's leader, Giorgia Meloni, has been one of the staunchest uh, opposer of Russia. But this is not the case for her two allies, the other two centre-right parties, uh, Forza Italia and Lega. Uh, Forza Italia's leader, Berlusconi, has boasted a personal friendship with Vladimir Putin and uh, the the Lega party has been often compromised with the financial support coming from uh, uh, Moscow. So in case they really form a coalition, Brothers of Italy as a leader, as a leading formation and the two other parties as parts of the coalition, uh, it will still be to to be checked uh, how uh, the final outcome will be and uh, what the stance of the center-right coalition will be, uh, even though I honestly, and I think it's a good point that need to emerge in this uh, conversation, Italy relies enormously from its economic cooperation with the European partners and dividing its... Uh, fundamental policies from those uh, of the main partners, France, Germany, and the others, wouldn't be a reasonable uh, political line. Uh, In this moment, uh, uh, the Italian economy is very dependent on the generous support and the solidarity that the partners have shown in the last two years. And I think this is, in a way, a guarantee that Italy will not sway much from the uh, current line. Mr. Bastasin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to say thank you to the International Studies Program at Johns Hopkins University and the SNF Agora Institute at Johns Hopkins University for making this episode possible. Remember to follow us on social media at Hopkins POFA on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook 
for the latest and greatest of Hopkins POFA content. Hit follow on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, and leave a rating. We'll see you next time.